The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. Well, hey, good morning, Pathways. How are you guys doing? Oh, come on. A little bit more life than the uh, 830. Come on. How are you guys doing? Doing good? Yeah, I'm excited to be with you guys. I'm excited to be here with you guys, hanging out. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, my family and I, we went on a trip to Colorado. Uh, we ended up taking a camping trip, me, Savannah, and our boys, Liam and Levi. Uh, we went out to Colorado, and it was beautiful. Like, we spent an entire week out in the mountains. Uh, right behind our, our tent was like this... Uh, this beautiful running trout stream, and so we got to listen to that all night, and we could, could hang out, spend time and time with family, and uh, got to hang out in beautiful nature, got to uh, do some fly fishing, but one of the things that we did while we were in Colorado is we went hiking as a family several times. Now, when I say the, the word hiking, uh, what do you picture? I think the majority of us picture like this beautiful like REI commercial, right? Like you picture, we roll out of our, our tent and you know, we put on the headlamp and we strap up our boots and we begin to make our way up the, the trail and in the cold, crisp air, you can see your breath and you get halfway up, you have an organic granola bar and you, you're working your way up, right? And you get as close to the top and the sun peaks up, right? And warms up your face, right? Well... Whoever wrote those REI commercials doesn't have kids. Like, I'm just going to say it. They don't have kids. They've never hiked with kids because hiking with kids is a whole other animal, okay? There's hiking uh, as a couple, and then there's hiking with kids, okay? I honestly believe that hiking with kids could be an Olympic sport. Like, I'm ready to petition for it to become an Olympic sport. We'll see how the, the best parents out there, we'll see if they can handle uh, hiking with these kids. Um, now, it's not a problem for Levi, my youngest, my two-year-old, because we have a backpack carrier. And so he goes in the backpack carrier. He's got this nice, there's like a little shade canopy there. He's got all this snacks lining the inside of the, the backpack, like he can reach them. He is doing great. In fact, uh, half the time, he would, like, he would just sleep. So, like, we'd be walking up this, this steep train, and he'd be like, Look, just like that, it's awesome. I actually have a video of him doing it. Uh, so it wasn't a problem for Levi, but my son Liam is four. Um, and there's only room for one on my back, okay? And my wife is pregnant. So we looked at our little, our little four-year-old. We're like, all right, buddy, you got to step up. Now, he's a trooper, uh, but he has to cover all the ground we did with much, much smaller legs. Okay, so there was uh, one hike in particular that was three and a half miles long, and over that three and a half miles, we had 3,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, the highest point in Wisconsin is 2,000 feet. So it was like 1,000 feet higher than the highest point in Wisconsin, okay? That is how much elevation gain happens in this three and a half miles, and Liam was having none of it. He did not want to be here. He did not want to be hiking. Uh, we're about a half mile in, and he's just sitting there, and he is, it's kind of like, uh, you guys ever seen the movie Up? Right, there's this character, Russell, from Up, and he's this little kid, and he's dragging behind Mr. Fredrickson, and he's like, I'm tired. My feet hurt. I'm hungry. I have to go to the bathroom, right? That's my toddler just dragging behind us, right? He's just slowly dragging, and I'm trying to, like, pump him up and be like, hey, we, we're going to make it to the top. It's going to be awesome. Only three more miles, buddy. 
and, and nothing I was saying was working. And finally, I'm like, hey, buddy, mom, mom's got some granola bars. And when we get to the top of the mountain, you can eat them. And you would, he was a different kid. You, you could just see this like audible change, this visual change where he was like, all right, let's go. Let's get to the top of the mountain. Let's make it. We're going to do it, right? And he, he went from like the back of the pack just kind of dragging to like he's jumping from rock to rock. And he's just, he's having a great time, right? Well, I think this is a beautiful illustration of what promises do in our lives. See, promises bring hope into our current circumstances, despite how bleak they might look. Now, if you look at the world today, it, it looks pretty bleak, but I want to share with you a promise that comes directly from Scripture. It comes from uh, one of my favorite places to find uh, promises in Scripture. It comes from the Beatitudes. Now, if you don't know what the Beatitudes are, basically it's uh, this sermon that Jesus gave in Matthew 5. And what's really cool about the Beatitudes is they are promises directly from the mouth of Jesus to you and me, to the followers of Jesus. It's not like the Old Testament where these promises sometimes are just for the Israelites. No, these promises are for me and for you. I want to bring you to, this is Matthew 5, 6. I want to show you this promise because it could radically change the way that we live our lives. Matthew 5, 6 says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for, catch this, they will be filled for they will be filled. See, church, contained in this phrase, uh, directly from the, the mouth of Jesus is an incredible promise. It's this incredible promise that if we, as a church, as families, as individuals, in our marriages, as our world, as the next generation, that if we strive and hunger for the righteousness of God, if we have this hunger and this thirst for God, that he is going to pour out his Holy Spirit over us that there will be a, 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 what like church people like to call a revival of the Holy Spirit, basically taking something that's dead and bringing new life into it. This is an incredible promise that I don't know about you, but I need. I look at my life and my family and I, I, I look at the world we live in and, and my marriage and I say, man, I need some more peace. I need some more joy. I, I don't know where you're at, but I know that for me, that's something that I desperately need. Now, if you're not sure what righteousness is, let me just give you a small picture of what that looks like. Righteousness is, is simply this, to be in right standing with God. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're hungering and thirsting to be right with God. It's kind of like this, this picture of, I don't know if you guys ever did this when you were kids, but uh, it's like when you were a little kid and you were trying to walk through heavy snow, but your, your father's walking in front of you and you're taking steps and his steps so that you don't have to plow through the snow, Right? That's what living out of righteousness looks like. We're taking step by step in our Father's footprints as we align our lives behind his righteousness. This is what righteousness is for us. And I think this is an incredible statement. And I want you to sit in this moment for just a second because I want you to see what this could mean in your life. That if we can pursue Jesus in this sort of way, that his righteousness is poured out over us and that we see the Holy Spirit move in mighty, mighty ways. I've been in the church a long time. In fact, the majority of my life has been spent in, in, in churches. And I've, I've heard so many times people say, man, we need a revival in this church. We need a revival in our world. Man, this world, we need revival. You know what I don't hear people saying is this. We need to be more righteous. We need to live righteously. We need to live lives of righteousness 
so that we can become like Jesus, so that the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. Here's the truth I need you to see, church, that revival is always connected to obedience to truth. You want revival in our, in our nation, you want revival in our world, you want revival in our church, in our families, whatever. We need to be connected and obedient to the truth of God's word. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I want to live in righteousness. Now, I wanna make two disclaimers off the top because this is really important to me that you guys understand this. The first is this. I want you to look at the words that Jesus uses here. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say those who are righteous will be filled. None of us are righteous. No, no, no. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus' expectation for the Holy Spirit filling us isn't that we're 100% righteous. He's not saying that. You can still make some mistakes in your life. And he fills. He does the work. Now, the other thing that I want you to see is this truth right here, that the only righteousness that we can really actually cling to is the righteousness directly from Jesus. The entire Old Testament, if you didn't know, is literally the story of us not being able to do it on our own. We're no different than anybody. In fact, uh, if you're, you're me, you're probably worse than the majority of the people that lived in the Old Testament. We can't do it on our own. We need the righteousness of God. But here's the thing. This is key. Once we have the righteousness of God because of we, our surrendered life, we need to live in it. Our, our lives need to begin to align with those actions. So the, the question, because I want to see the, the Holy Spirit move. I, I want to see a, a radical move of the Holy Spirit in the next generation of Jesus followers in our church and our world. So the question for me looks like this. How do we live in righteousness? How do we as a people strive after and chase after righteousness and the righteousness that is our Heavenly Father? Now, this is a very simple concept. It's a very simple thing in concept. You follow the Bible. Very simple. Uh, but when you get into conflict, when things become confusing, uh, in the midst of disagreement, all of a sudden living righteous becomes much, much harder. It's not an easy black and white thing to do. And so what I want to do today is I want to examine how we live in righteousness by looking at our, our actions. And I want to do that by bringing you to a passage in the book of Micah. If you're not sure who Micah is, uh, Micah was a prophet. Basically, what, what a prophet means is that he spoke for God. God gave him messages. He spoke to the people, right? And so Micah's a prophet, and he's living in the midst of complication, of confusion, and chaos. At this point in time, Israel is a split kingdom. There's a south and north kingdom, and both are corrupt. Uh, the, the leaders are, are corrupt, and, and the, the amount of... The amount of uh, the amount of people that are at each other's throat is everywhere. Division is constant. There are the haves and the have-nots. If you were to describe the people, you'd describe them as spiritually dry. The presence of God is nowhere to be found. And Micah, in the midst of this, gives a message to the people of Israel, to both nations, about what it's like to live out of righteousness. Why? So that the presence of God shows up how we live out of righteousness. And what he lays out beautifully is what righteousness among people in the midst of complicated, messed up, confusing lives should look like. And I think when I read through, I see pictures of my life in that. In Micah 6, uh, 7 and 8, he says this right here. He tells this to the Israelites. It says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, 
to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God. Three little steps that Michael lays out that says, if we as a people can embrace this, we will see God's righteousness sweep in and we will see the Holy Spirit uh, be renewed to the nation. Three pieces. The first is this, to act justly, to act justly. Now, uh, this is, uh, it seems simple on the surface, but uh, I see this as two different pieces. The first is this, to, to know what is just. In order for us to act justly, we first have to know what is, is just. You know, it, it might not look like it, but uh, I played varsity football as a freshman in high school. Um, wasn't because I was good. It was because we didn't have enough people for the team. Uh, and so they're like, Michael, why don't you come on out? Why don't you come play with us? Uh, and so I played varsity football with them, learned a lot in the first uh, couple practices, got beat up a little bit. Um, and finally, it was, it was time for us to go into our first game, right? Now, before we were, the, the week before we were gonna go into this game, the coach passed around a sheet of paper for our, our roster and it had five slots, name, grade. Uh, it, it had your, your height, your weight, and, and also it, it had uh, your number on it. And so I, I'm looking at this and in this moment, I'm like, oh no, this isn't good. And here's why. Because freshman Michael was five foot six, 145. Nobody wants to be the five foot six, 145 freshman on the varsity football team. You wanna know why? Because every person looks at that roster and goes, I wanna block him. I wanna take him. Let me find that dude on the field because I'm gonna take him out. He's tiny. Let's see how far we can get him to fly, right? That's, that's why I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? And so in this moment, I decide that I'm going to lie. Right? I'm like, I don't want to be five foot six. And so I put Michael Liebelt, number seven, freshman, five foot nine, 175 pounds. <laughs> now, God has a sense of humor because I never reached five foot nine. Um, <laughs> like, I, I'm not five foot nine, right? Now, it seemed like a really smart thing to lie about at the time, but looking back is a pretty dumb lie. And, and here's why. Because everybody could tell the second I walked in the field that I wasn't 5'9". Like, it doesn't take much, right? In fact, if they were to grab a tape measure and walk out there and check how tall I was, they'd be like, wait a second. You're 5'6". You're not 5'9". See, the, the tape measure that they would use is the standard to determine whether I, I was 5'6 or I was 5'9". The same is true of justice. Our standards are our tape measure for whether we believe something is right or believe something is wrong. It's this measurement that we use to determine right from wrong. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, it comes back to this book right here. This book right here, this word of God, and what you believe about this is meant to be a standard that you use to determine right from wrong. Now, this, this concept of right and wrong is actually something that we're going to be diving into in two weeks here with uh, Pastor Jordan when he comes to talk about evil. But I wanted to share with you uh, this quote that I found the other day that I, I just, it's, it's a brilliant quote. Uh, it actually came from a Holocaust survivor in the midst of the Nuremberg trials. If you don't know what was going on, that was the collision of justice that happened for the Nazi party. And this is what they write. I think this is just so brilliant. They write it this way, some of the most evil things done in our world aren't done in defiance of what is just, but in allegiance to a different sense of the word. See, what this Holocaust survivor beautifully lays out for us is that there's a lot of people that believe they're doing justice, but they're going to a different standard. 
Every single person in here has a standard that they use to measure justice and injustice, right and wrong. Now, as a follower of Jesus, we hold up our Bibles and we say, this is the standard we live by. I believe that this is the awe-inspired word of God, that God wrote this. I believe that, that his Holy Spirit uh, spoke to people to write this, this book. I believe it. And so because of that, I will live my life according to these words. This is my standard. Believe it or not, if you didn't know this, this has the standards for everything you need in life. This will tell you how to act as a Christian, how to talk as a Christian, how to be a good dad, how to be a good mom, how to be a, a, a good grandparent, how to act as a member of government, how to act as a citizen in the world. Even how I should act as a pastor at Pathways Church is contained in this book. This book is my standard. And so for me to know what is just, I will go back to this book over and over and over again. But then after we do that, we need to take action. You can know what is just and not do what is just. So the second piece of us acting justly is to do what is just. You guys ever seen a Brita filter? Anybody ever seen a Brita filter? Uh, you know, it's a little, little mug. And, okay, there's a lot of people just staring at me. All right, yeah, a Brita filter's designed to filter water, right? It's designed, oh, thank you, perfect, awesome. So a Brita filter like this, is designed to filter water, okay? You pour water, especially if you live in Kakana, because you guys, water's nasty. Um, <laughs> it's nasty. I, I, I'm bringing my own water to the party, you know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, so you, you pour your unfiltered water in the top, and as it works its way down through the filter, what comes out the bottom is pure, right? It's, it's good drinking water. That's what this is designed to do. Now, I believe that this is a beautiful illustration of what, the Bible is supposed to be for our conflicts. See, the thought is that as we pour in our conflicts and our brokenness and the issues of our lives, we pour it through God's word and allow it to filter what comes out the bottom is justice. What comes out the bottom is purity. What comes out the body, bottom is holy, holy, holy. It's a reflection of our Lord. See, this, this thought of filtering our word and our actions through God's word is, is something that we as Christians, we love to talk about, but we struggle to do. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle to do that. And, and here's why. Because when we do that, the filter doesn't just grab other people's sins. It grabs our sin too. It grabs our selfish desires, what we want. It grabs those things too. But see, if we are going to act justly, if we're going to be people of righteousness, you cannot be a person of righteousness and not live by the book that lays out how to be righteous. I love the way there's a, a book in the Old Testament uh, called Amos, and we've been studying this uh, in, in our movement. Now, anybody read that lately, Amos? Anybody? Yes, thank you, Ryan the Bar. I love that. <laughs> right? So uh, for those of you who don't know, Amos is this beautiful book that talks about the relationship between God's mercy and his justice and this paradigm. And, and uh, we were studying with our movement kids, which by the way, uh, we've got some incredible stuff coming down the pipe for, uh, for next gen. L let me tell you, we have our movement programming where we're teaching books like Amos to kids, which is incredible. Uh, but we also have, uh, starting this upcoming fall, we're splitting our middle school and high school ministries. So our high school ministry will be on Sunday nights and our middle school ministry will be on Wednesday nights. This is gonna allow kids, a whole bunch of kids that have never been a part of a faith community to be a part of a faith community. Uh, I was actually at our camp and we were talking to, a, talking to a student who has wanted to be part of a faith community since they were a sixth grader. 
And when we told them we're moving it to Sunday nights, they broke out in tears because they had never had the chance because of sports to be a part of a faith community. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening in the next generation. It's absolutely incredible. And if you want to be a part of it, just come talk to me. Let's find a way to get you to be a part of it. We were teaching through the book of Amos to our middle school students and talking about God's justice and his mercy. And uh, the way the Bible Project put this was so beautiful. I wanted to share this with you because I believe this perfectly lays out what we're talking about today. The Bible Project says it was this way, that true worship of our God, it should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving our neighbors. It's this beautiful picture that as we worship God by taking what we want in our standards and our lives and our conflicts and put that surrender through his standards, through his scriptures, what comes out the bottom is justice. What comes out the bottom is righteousness and what comes out the bottom is it's loving our neighbors. You see, when we truly worship our God in spirit and in truth, his justice and righteousness become evident to everybody around us. That's the first piece of this. Now, uh, if, if you've been in, in church long enough, you know what comes next in this, this, this whole phrase, right? It's, it's on coffee mugs, it, it's in songs, it's on uh, t-shirts, right? It's seek justice, love mercy, right? I cannot stand this portion of scripture. Can I be honest with you? I'm just gonna be honest with you, yeah. This, this portion of scripture is a struggle for me. I struggle with it, and, and here's why. Because I get it in concept that God can show us mercy and justice at the same time, but I'm not God. I'm very, very broken. And so if you're laying out how to be righteous and you're saying, you know what, you should just stand up for justice and mercy at the same time, I struggle with that. And here's why. Because justice is people getting what they deserve according to the standard. But mercy is people not getting what they deserve according to the standard. See the confusion, somebody? This is the way that uh, the CSB translation, one of my favorite translations, the Christian Standard Bible, it says this, to love faithfulness. Now, I was spending some time with this passage last week and was, was trying to work through it with actually our worship pastor, Pastor Nathan. We were uh, sitting together going back and forth like, what? What do you think? How can these be the same? I, I don't understand this. And, and so what we did is we went back to the original text. Now, if you don't know, originally the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek, okay? That's the original text. And how we get our translations is they get a group of scholars together they can trust that can read all of those languages. And they say, how can we translate this well? Now, there's some translations like the NIV that is phrase for phrase. They take a phrase and they try to make it as close as possible with the English because Believe it or not, uh, Hebrew and Greek are beautiful languages, and English, I'm um, not going to go there. Uh, but they try to line them up as close as possible, phrase by phrase. Now, uh, the CSB translation is a word-for-word translation, all right, meaning that they take one word from, from the Greek or Hebrew, and they find the closest English equivalent, and that's the word they use. Make sense? Yes? All right. So we need to go back to the original. If we're going to understand everything with this, we're going to have to go back to the the original text. Now, the original word that's used in this passage uh, for, for this thought of loving mercy is this word has said. It's a Hebrew word, uh, and it means a multitude of different things. Four times in the Bible, it's used as mercy. A uh, hundred times or so, it's used as faithfulness, and another 75 times, it's used as this, and I love this phrase, enduring kindness. Enduring kindness. Now, my, my, my mind can't wrap around mercy and justice at the same time, but you know what I can wrap my mind around is this, justice and enduring kindness. That thought enduring means that it, it goes past the circumstances, 
goes past the situations that you might face. It's kindness that's not dependent on an outcome. What does this look like in our lives? Uh, A couple years ago, I was having lunch with a good friend of mine named Cody. Cody is a a law enforcement officer. Uh, He's got two little girls. I actually uh, went through academy with him. Uh, Just a great friend. He stood in my wedding, and we were just going back and forth and just talking about life. It had been a couple years since we talked, and uh, as we were as we were talking, he told me this story of, of somebody that he, had, he had, uh, had to arrest that had been charged with child pornography. And he was telling me all about, they, they kick the door in, they grab this dude, pull him out of his bed, handcuff him, put him in the car, and he ends the story by telling me, yeah, and then I gave him the last cigarette before uh, we, we put him in the jail. And I, the, I had to stop for a moment and catch what he just said, because I want you to picture this. This man that had committed all these things has his hands behind his back. And my buddy Cody is standing there with a cigarette in between his fingers and putting it in this dude's mouth and letting him have his last cigarette before he goes, to, goes off to jail. I was sitting there and, and just listening to him talk about that. And I had to ask it. I said, Cody, how do you do that? You have two little girls at home and this dude is taking advantage of children. How, how do you do that? And he looked at me, and, and what he said was this, and this is so beautiful. I actually went and wrote it down on a scrap piece of paper in my car when, we, when I got done with the meeting. He said this. He said, Michael, the more time that I spend in law enforcement, the more I realize that my life is only one or two bad decisions away from sitting in the back seat and not the front. One or two bad decisions away. See, what my buddy didn't know at that point in time is that he was a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be both just and have this enduring kindness. Here's what it looked like for him. It looked like this. You're still going to jail. I'm still gonna kick your door in and I'm gonna come and I'm gonna take the evil out of this world. Justice is gonna happen, let me tell you. But in the process of justice, I'm going to treat you as a human. I'm gonna talk to you. I'm gonna, gonna stand with you and I'm going to hold this cigarette right in front of your lips with my fingers so that you feel like somebody cares for you in probably one of the worst days of your life because justice came raining down on you. This is a beautiful picture of both of those things. And this same concept should apply to our entire lives, every conflict that we have. See, we are called to live in a place of enduring and unconditional kindness regardless of the hurt and regardless if the hurt was done to us. See, our world wants us to believe that it's an either-or thing, and that it's either we show justice or we show kindness. What I'm here to tell you is that it's both. If we want to be people of righteousness, we need to both have a heart for justice and have a heart for enduring kindness. I'll be honest with you, this is something that's really hard for me. I have struggled with this because I'm, I'm that person that says, I want justice to be done. I want justice. It's a lot harder for me to go. I want enduring kindness to happen to this person as well. See, it's, it's both. Now, hear me out, church. I want you to know this. It's important that we stand for justice. It's extremely important that we stand for justice. In fact, there are so many evil things in the world that have been shown the light of Jesus because Christians stood up for justice. Slavery was outlawed in this country because Christians stood for justice. It's the reason we have uh, relationships with partners like Damascus Road that pull women out of human trafficking because we're gonna stand for justice. Don't miss this. We need to have enduring kindness in the midst of this justice that we are doing. We have to refuse to make it us versus them. They're not opposites. 
See, church, our, our love for enduring kindness must match our love for justice. And here's the reason why, because this is exactly what God does with us. God still demands that justice be done. I serve a very just God. And my just God, he has held me to my, my sins, but also he sent his son to die on a cross so that I don't have to be held to my sins. But in the moments where he's just, he's also enduringly kind. He makes me feel like I'm not broken. He makes me feel like I can be whole again. And if I actually repent and get on my face and say, God, I need you to take this from me. Please take my punishment. He shows up and gives mercy and grace. This is my God and this is what he does. See, the second that we miss that we can demand justice and love kindness, we stumble into the last challenge that Micah gives to us. It's a challenge that looks like this. And walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. I want to take you back to a year that none of us want to relive, the year 2020. 2020 was a perfect storm for conflict. Whether it be COVID, whether it be the election, whether it be uh, the, the racial unrest in our country, whether it be George Floyd, whatever it is. It was the perfect storm for conflict. Now that's especially true for people that have a tendency to be prideful. And there's a lot of friendships and a lot of people that I, I, I probably burned during that season of time as I thought that I was right and I wanted to be right. But see, what God slowly has revealed to me is that in that season of my life, my pride in being right walked me away from a God who is right. My pride in thinking that I was right and I had everything in life figured out walked me away from a God who is 100% right, holy, and just. So what God revealed to me is that while I was clinging on my own sense of righteousness, I, I was only able to be made righteous due to what God did on the cross, to what Jesus did for me. Church, I want you to hear this very plainly. Your repentance that leads to righteousness and pride can have no part of each other. There is no pride in repentance. There is no pride in righteousness. They're like oil and water. You can mix them as hard as you want. They won't mix. And see, what I found is that for my life and for a lot of people, we become like that toddler that's walking through the snow. And we're step in step with our father for a while, but all of a sudden we get this idea that we can do it on our own. And so we take a step to the side. We begin to try to plow through the snow only to make it five or six feet and then look back and go, I want to be over by God again. You see, for me, this has been a struggle in my life. Here's what it looks like. For me to, to live out of a place where I walk humbly with God, it's this thought of walking in humility, acknowledging my sin and my brokenness not just living out of a place where I can claim that everybody must forgive me, but walking in the midst of my brokenness and accepting that there are consequences for my actions in heaven and on earth. Praying that people give me enduring kindness. And as I do that, accepting a God's grace that is so incredible that meets me exactly where I am. This has been my life. And this is the life of somebody that is trying to walk in step with God. Not perfectly, actually really imperfectly, but slowly taking steps. 
toward righteousness. So here's my prayer for every single person that walks in here. I pray that we become a, a church, a people, a body, of families, whatever, that can leave our pride at the door. We can say, you know what? I'm just as broken as the next person. My life is just as messed up as the next guy. But I'm gonna leave my pride at the door. My, my, my prayer is that you take the words of, uh, there's a theologian, Charles Spurgeon, that, that says it this way, that you take these words and apply them to your life. He says, let us measure ourselves by our master and not our fellow servants, for then pride will be impossible. This right here is the call of us as Christians. Now, I don't know what you walked in with here today. I, I don't. But here's what I do know. I do know that for, for me and my family and my marriage with my kids, with my world, with our church, with my students, that I desperately want to see a move of the Holy Spirit. I want to see the Holy Spirit move in power. I want to see him impact and change lives. I want stories to be restarted. I want family trees to be cut down and replanted by my God. I want a whole generation of Jesus followers in the church that are willing to stand for justice, that love people with enduring kindness that points the world back to Jesus and are willing to say, my pride's at the door. I'm just as broken as the next guy, just as broken as the next girl. But I know that that only is going to happen when we choose to hunger and thirst after righteousness. When we begin to seek justice, throwing our standards to the wind and what we want and our sin, throw it to the wind and begin to live by the standard of God's word. If God's word says, move, I'm moving. If God's word says, you need to do this, I'm doing that. If God's word says, you need to speak like this, this is the kind of husband, the father that you need to be, let's do it. I'm ready to live that way. There's some of us that we need to become people of enduring kindness that regardless of the circumstance, the situation that you're in, you become that person that's willing to hold your fingers up to somebody. Say, I'm here for you. We'll treat you as a human when no one else will. Why? Because my God treats me as a human when no one else will. In the midst of my sin and my brokenness. And I want us to become people that drop our pride at the door. Embracing the repentance and the righteousness that our Heavenly Father is giving. Now, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Michael, I want to be righteous. I want to be made righteous. That peace and joy that, that I'm empty, Michael. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit today. I, I need to be filled. My life is a mess. If you're that person today, here's the cool thing about my God. My God comes in righteousness and he comes instantly. He shows up mightily and he makes us righteous despite our sins and our brokenness. Now, if you're somebody today that you want that, you want to be made righteous, not by your actions, not by how good you are, but by, by the blood of Jesus, covering your sins and your brokenness so that grace can be poured out over you and your life. If that's you with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, all across this place, why don't you just raise up your hand? If you're online, you can type in, I'm giving my life. All across this place. I'll give you another moment.
Thank you. I see you back there. I see you too. There's nothing more than God, that God wants than for you to be right with him, to be in relationship with you. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And all you gotta do is raise your hand and accept that. Thank you, I see you up here. Now here's the cool thing about Pathways Church is we're not just trying to get you to say yes to something and continue on with your life. We wanna do life with you. This place is meant to be a community. And so we're gonna take the next steps with you and we're, we're not gonna allow you to pray alone. So I'm gonna ask that everybody pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. It meets us where we don't, don't deserve it. Father, right now, we turn to you. We submit our lives at your feet. Father, I pray you make us righteous. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Father, right now we turn to you. And we give you our future, our lives, and our brokenness. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate what God is doing? Can we celebrate that lives are changing? Come on.